by telling Doug Schoenberger, thank you for speaking last week. And if you missed last week, then I would really encourage you to, uh, to listen to it online uh, at our website, and you can check that out. Um, or if you need a, a brief recap, I'm, I'm going to give that to you here, here real fast. Um, he talked about one of my biblical heroes, a guy by the name of Elijah. How many of you have heard of Elijah before? Uh, Elijah is a, is a great guy, and uh, he did a lot of neat stuff, and he also ran away in fear some. And, and Doug talked about how whenever we're in the spiritual doldrums of our life, uh, whenever things just don't seem to be going very well, he suggested that there are three ships in which that can help us get out of those doldrums. He talked about uh, relationships. He talked about fellowship, and he talked about discipleship, relationship with the Lord, of, of how we need to have that, that deep relationship with the Lord that, that's growing, and it's, part, it's active, and it's part of who we are. It, it is who we are, and it's our, it's our main relationship. He talked about fellowship and how we need to, to have that uh, relationship with one another in, in fellowship, in small groups, and in Bible study. We need to be um, holding each other accountable and encouraging one another. And he also talked about uh, discipleship, and he talked about how we need to, uh, to have a group, a, a small group, maybe one or two people that, that we're investing in and they're investing back in us. And, and we see that and the scripture talks about it, how iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And, and we looked at, he looked at how that is important in our life. And, and then he cited some examples. He talked about how David and, and Jonathan spent time together. He, he talked about even, you know, Paul and Timothy and how they spent time together and encouraged one another. And he also talked about Elijah and Elisha. And uh, this morning, that's where I'm going to land. I'm going to talk about Elisha. But I have to tell you, oftentimes this morning, I'm probably going to call him Elijah. So I'll try to make the distinction. But if it's obvious that I'm talking about Elisha and I say Elijah, just go with it and smile and nod at me like, you know, you'll be all right. Okay? So uh, I invite you to grab your Bibles and turn to first, or, yeah, first Kings chapter 19. And we're going to begin on verse 19 in, in just a few minutes. If you're reaching for a blue Bible, it'll be on page uh, 255. And uh, we're going to look at verse 19 in a moment, uh, looking at the prophet Elisha. And uh, I want to, to focus in this morning uh, through this lens of commitment and what commitment looks like and, and how that would apply to us. You've probably heard the story uh, before, but back in April 20, on April 21st in the year 1519, the Spanish explorer uh, Hernando Cortez sailed into the harbor of Veracruz, Mexico, and he brought with him about 600 men. And uh, over the next two years, his vastly outnumbered forces defeated the Aztec warriors and making Cortez the conqueror of all Mexico. And what made this even more impressive was the fact that on two previous expeditions that were led by different people, they failed to even establish a Spanish colony there. And so what he did was pretty remarkable uh, at this time. And, and one of the things that Cortez knew was that from the very beginning, he was going to be facing incredible odds against him. Things were, were not going to be in his favor. He knew that it was going to be dangerous and that it was going to be difficult. He knew that he, as, long, as well as his men, would be tempted at times to turn tail and run and return to Spain. And so as soon as Cortez and all his men had landed and they brought all their provisions to shore, he ordered that their ships be burned. And he set them all on fire and he made the men stand on the shore looking at their 11 ships as they burned and then sank. His point was clear. There's no going back. We are in this. We're... we're going to have nothing to go back to but an empty ocean. And good luck, boys, if you think you want to swim back. Your choices are 
go forward with me or die. Cortez was committed, and as a result, so were his men. Have you ever been really committed to something in your life? Is there something that, that you've just been extremely, you know, passionately committed to? Uh, you've almost wanted it more than life itself? It could have been maybe a new job or a promotion or that spot on the starting sports team. You know, you, you wanted that, that person to go out with you, and so you're willing to do whatever it takes. You wanted that car, the car you always wanted, the contract that would make or break your company. You, you've set a weight loss goal, and you're pursuing those things. Just you're committed to them. And maybe you're committed to a relationship or a project or, or a discipline, and you're committed to do whatever it takes, to pull out all the stops, to give it your best effort, to focus all of your energies on it, to devise a plan, to devise a strategy. You're willing to talk about it to whoever will listen, and even when they're not listening, you're going to tell them about it because you're passionate about this. You're going to stick with it, regardless of what happens. We, we all have these different types of pursuits in our life. It's, it's kind of what drives us. It's what makes life exciting and makes life have this sense of purpose and accomplishment. And as we look at that, the question I invite you to wrestle with this morning over the next few minutes is what would happen if we were to take that same type of commitment and that passion and we were to pour that into our relationship with the Lord? What would happen if we were to do that each and every day of our life, if if as individuals and as families and as a community of believers, if we made it our main commitment to pursue God and have that deep relationship with him each and every day of our life. Would it change the way we pray? Would it change the way we manage our priorities? Would it change our our time commitments? Would it change our spending habits? Would it change our social life? Would it change our church attendance? Would it change how we go to those who are far from God, how we love them with the love of Christ, how we teach them the truth of God's word? Would any of that change if our commitment to God was what it should be. I believe that the potential of our committing to God in that way is huge. In our individual lives, in our homes, and in our families, in our church, in our community, for his kingdom, the impact would be significant. And so here today, what I want to challenge us to is to move beyond where we are and move into a deeper, growing relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19, and and we'll see how this hopefully all ties together this morning. The text says this, so Elijah went from there and, and I'm going to stop right there. It's important to kind of set the the groundwork, especially if you didn't hear what Doug talked about last week. Uh, We've got Elijah who has done all these great things for God, and uh, he's listening to the voice of God. He's being obedient to God, and uh, what has happened is he's, he's experienced that still, small voice of God, the gentle whisper of God whenever he was up uh, outside the cave. He's anointed a couple of kings, and now he's off to find Elisha. And it says this, it says, He found Elisha, son of Shapheth, and he was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the twelfth pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? That's an interesting thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. So Elijah left him, Elisha left him, and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he sent out to, set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. 
we find Elisha doing what Elisha was supposed to be doing. He was working out in his field. He was driving a pair of oxen. He was farming. And up walks this famous prophet of God, Elijah. And Elijah just didn't happen to be passing by. Elijah was being obedient to God and doing what God had called him to do. And he walks up to Elisha, and he throws his cloak around him. Now, that may sound a little weird to us. It sound a little weird to anybody who walks up to him and, you know, like, are you cold while you're working? You know, what's he doing? But, but it's very significant. At this time in history, this cloak was often referred to as a mantle. And it was worn as something which would identify someone, a mantle that would show that you belonged to a king or that you were a priest or, or in this case, that you were a prophet of God. And when Elijah threw his mantle, uh, his cloak, on Elisha's shoulders, what it signified was the fact that, that God was calling Elisha. And Elisha would understand what was happening. The mantle of the prophet of God was now resting on his shoulders, and God had called him to do this. And that brings us to the first lesson that I want us to look at of the three this morning. I invite you to write this down in your bulletin. It's very simply to trust God. We need to trust God. Uh, Elisha trusted God. One of the amazing things about Elisha is he doesn't go and start asking questions. I probably would. And I know several of you that would as well. You'd start saying, no, what does this mean exactly? What does this entail? What is the benefits package? What kind of vacation time do we get with this new calling, God? And yet, he doesn't ask any questions. He just trusts God, and he agrees to go. He and Elijah have this interesting conversation. Elisha says, hey, I want to go back and tell my family goodbye. And basically, what Elijah says to him is, okay, I have no claim on you. What have I done to you? I have no claim on you, is what he was saying. Basically, he's saying, it's your choice. It's your choice how you respond to God wanting you to be his prophet. And Elijah says, you can stay, you can go, it's your choice. And Elisha decides to go and trust God, to leave everything and go behind. It's more than just a decision to go, it's a commitment. He makes a full-fledged commitment. He slaughters his oxen, and then he has a backyard barbecue when he burns his plow. Now, I, I, I grew up on a farm, you know, family farm, and, and doing that stuff, if when I decided to leave, if I would have, like, you know, slashed the tires on the tractor and then, you know, burned it up, I probably would have gotten in trouble at that point, right? And yet, Elisha does this, and he signifies the fact that there's, there's no going back. I am publicly stating that I'm going to follow God. I'm going to leave my old way of life, and I'm going to follow Elijah. He didn't keep his options open. He didn't provide another way out. If this whole prophet of God thing doesn't work, I'll just come back to the farm. No, it wasn't an option. He left it all behind. He was committed. He didn't hold anything back. He trusted God completely, 100%, and he went. Second lesson we can learn from Elisha is how to follow instructions. Uh, Elisha, this meant he had to follow Elijah. And he, he did that. We, we don't have a lot of information about how Elijah trained Elisha and the different things that they did. Uh, but what we do know is that Elisha continued to follow Elijah even when things got difficult and even when it would have been easier to stop. He was committed to the calling he'd received. Uh, later on, we read uh, through the, the book of First Kings and the first part of Second Kings that Elisha is described as the guy who was pouring water out on Elijah's hand. In other words, he was with Elijah, 
even when Elijah was just washing his hands, Elisha was there, learning, following instructions, and, and doing whatever was asked of him. In, in 2 Kings chapter 2, we have this interesting exchange between Elijah and Elisha. And it's right before the Lord is about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. And that's a really cool story, which we're going to talk about at some other point, but not this morning because you probably want to be out of here before 1 o'clock today. But it's, it's a really interesting story, and, and Elisha knows that this is going to happen. In verse 2, the text says this, Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord in, lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to, Be- to Bethel. Now, I have to admit, this exchange kind of baffles me, especially if you keep reading in the text and you realize that this happens two more times. Basically, Elijah says, okay, God has told me to go here and you stay here. And Elisha goes, okay, that's great. And I'm coming with you, right? And so he doesn't just let him go. And as I thought about this, here's kind of the conclusion I came to. Elisha knew that God was going to very soon take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind. And Elisha didn't want to miss it. Elisha was willing to do whatever it took to put himself in a position to which he could experience God, to which he could see what God was doing and so that he could be near Elijah and he could receive that and experience that which Elijah had experienced. He knew that when Elijah left, the responsibility of being the prophet of God would then fall to him and it wasn't something he wanted just to take lightly. And so he knew that this was going to be a difficult task. And we see in verse 9 of that, of that passage that Elisha asks Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. Elijah, Elisha himself was putting himself in a position where he could clearly receive the Lord's instruction so that he could clearly follow the Lord's instruction. He knew that it was very important that he followed the instructions of the Lord. And that's the second lesson that I think we can learn. The third lesson is this. We need to serve others. Serve others. Now, now here's here's the interesting thing. When when Elijah was taken up to heaven and Elisha received the double portion of Elijah's spirit and he received the cloak that that fell from heaven whenever uh, Elijah was taken away, one of the first things that we have recorded that he did was start serving other people. In verse 19, we we see the story of how he healed the water in the city so that the people would have wholesome water to drink and it would no longer cause death and the land could become productive again. In chapter 4 of the book of 2 Kings, we read about how Elisha provided the miracle of the oil for the widow woman. We, We see how he raised a son back to life, how he made food edible to eat that wasn't edible to eat, and uh, then also how he fed a hundred people. The point of the matter is that Elisha didn't use his gift, his responsibility, his power that he'd received from the Lord in order to serve himself. Instead, he served other people. He made an impact in their lives. That's what his life was about, was impacting and influencing other people for the kingdom of God. He even made an impact after he was dead, and Doug referred to this last week, in 2 Kings chapter 13, some Israelites were, were burying a guy, and they got scared because of some raiders, and they threw him into this tomb. And the text says they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now that's making an impact beyond the grave, right? He did some amazing things in life, and, and even this in death. He was serving other people. So 
how do these lessons from Elisha make any difference in our life today here in 2012? I would suggest that these lessons are not only individual for each and every one of us, but also for our homes, for our church, for our community, for the people in which we come in contact with. And, and I think life would be different. Our relationship would be different if we do these three things. And I'm going to walk through them again. The first one is trust God. We, as individuals, as families, as a church, as a community of believers, we need to trust God. Uh, for some of you here today, that simply means that, that you need to trust the Lord for the first time with salvation. It, it means that you need to turn your life over to him. The, the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us, we are trusting in something 100% for what's going to happen right after we take our last breath, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Whatever it is you believe in, whatever it is you're putting your faith and your trust and your confidence in, you're trusting in that to take care of you right after you take your last breath, right? And God says, why don't you put your trust and faith in me now for what I can do with these breaths right now, not just your last breath. I suggest that we do that with our life, that we start today. And for some of you, it means for the first time to accept him as your Lord and Savior, to put your trust and your faith and your hope in him, to repent of your sins, to express Jesus as Lord, and to begin to experience that life that Jesus promises us that you can never experience on your own. Some of you have done that. You have, you've said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. And and I want to suggest to you, for those of you who have done that, that it's more than just a one-time confession and, and making sure that you, you know, quote-unquote, punched your ticket, if that's the terminology you like to use. There, there's more to it than that. We need to understand all that Jesus has done for us, all that God has done for us through Jesus, his son. And we need to move from just that trusting him with our salvation to a commitment to him. For many of us, the struggle becomes whenever we try to leave our old life behind, and we try to walk in this new life. It's what Elisha did. If you remember, he made a commitment to follow God, to become his prophet. He, he burned the plow. He killed the oxen. He left his family, and he, he said, I'm not going back. But the problem that I see a, a lot of times, and we all experience in different ways, is is that what we want to do when we turn our life over to the Lord is, is we want to bring all of our baggage and our sinful ways with us. We want to try to incorporate God into the life we're living. We want to just continue living the way we live and just kind of say, okay, God, where do you fit in that old way of life? And how can you just kind of make things just a little bit better? And yet, can I tell you, that's not what Jesus is interested in at all. He's not trying just to fill the nooks and crannies that you feel like you don't have filled because your life is unfulfilling. He wants you to have a new life, a different life. He wants to make you a new creation, a new person who is free from that bondage of sin. Scripture tells it like this. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and here's the key, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 has this laundry list of things that, that people do that's going to keep them out of the, the kingdom of God. And it says, here's what's going to keep you out of heaven. And, and then in verse 11 it says, and that's what some of you were. Not that's what some of you are and God's going to save you anyway, but that's what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Christ and by the Spirit 
of our God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 reminds us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And then Paul uses his own life as an example when he says this in Philippians chapter 3, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. And if you know what that word rubbish means, it's really interesting. Rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. God wants us to have a new life not just incorporated into our old life. And here's the tendency. Here's where I fall back to. And in talking with other people, this is where they go. Anytime they hear something like this, that we need to commit to God, we need to trust God, and that God wants to remove our old, old way of life and the sin and gives us a, a new life, what we say is such things as this. Well, that means I need to try harder. I need to do better. I need to buckle down and, and be more determined. But here's what happens when we do that. When we say things like that and we think things like that, where are we putting the emphasis and where are we putting our trust and where are we putting our hope? We're putting it back on ourselves. As if I can do this on my own. As if I try harder, it's going to remove the sin from my life. We can't do that on our own. It's only through what Jesus has done in our life it's only because God has allowed his blood to, to cover our sins and, and to make us new. And, and we need to stop fighting this idea of that God is going to do something to us if we don't change our ways. You see, we need to understand that God wants to do something in us and through us, not to us, because he wants that relationship with us. It starts when we trust God. And our commitment to God is there. And it's going to take a deliberate and continual attitude. It starts, I believe, with that daily action of repentance before the Lord. It takes with us realizing that we are completely dependent upon him. Not just a, a yes, I want to go to heaven when I die, but a, a yes, Lord, I want to serve you today. I want to trust you today with everything, with all I am, with everything in my life. We need to trust. We need to make a commitment to God and to God alone. And not only are we to trust him, but the second thing, like Elijah, like Elisha, we're called to follow instructions. If you've been around uh, PCC for very long, or hopefully any church, um, you, you already know where I'm going to go with this for the next uh, minute or two. Uh, we're supposed to follow the instructions. This in my hand is called a what? It's a Bible. And uh, the, the thing is, it's the basic instructions before leaving earth, Right? B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's not just something that's supposed to look good on your coffee table. It's not just something that looks impressive on the shelf, if, you know, if it still has the gold lettering and people go, oh, that's pretty, right? We're supposed to know it. 
We're supposed to read it. We're, we're supposed to, to do the things that it says in there. Elisha made a commitment to Elijah. And we need to make a commitment to the Lord. We, we need to, to do what he's called us to do, even when it would be easier to stop and to do something else. We need to put ourselves in a position to experience what God is doing. Uh, back on October 28th, uh, I talked about those private disciplines. And one of the things we, we did was we passed out these green bracelets. And, and you don't have to tell me if you have yours on or not, but if you have one, you can just kind of reach for it for a moment. And uh, we, we passed out these green bracelets, and, and we offered, issued this 30-day challenge. And the challenge was very basically this. Your challenge is to give God your first few minutes and your first few dollars for the next 30 days. To try it. To spend time every day reading his word, praying to him, deepening that relationship, giving God your most valuable asset, which truly is your time. We, we act like it's our money, but it's not. It's our time. And to give that to God first. And we also challenge you to, to take the 30 days, and any time money came into your hand, any time a dollar came to you, that you picked a percentage and you gave it back, that you became a percentage priority giver, that you would give to God first, you would save second, and you would live on the rest. And you get that dollar and you give God a dime, you give God a nickel, you pick a percentage and you give it away. And if you don't want to give it here, I don't care, just give it away. Allow God that opportunity to work through you in that way. And to take that challenge and, and to do that. And, and I know several people, we ordered 200 bracelets and all 200 of them went away very quickly. And so, 28 days into that challenge, as my friend Chris Pullen would say, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing with that challenge? Has it made a difference? Have you been committed to doing that? Is it just kind of a cool green bracelet you can wear? Or maybe you're wearing it because you feel guilty, or I, I don't know. Was it a good idea that made a difference, or was it just a good idea that we weren't committed to? Third lesson that we learned from Elisha that I think applies to us is we need to serve others. You know, we have so much for which to be thankful. As the old hymn says, we should count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. You know, there's lots of different ways that we can express our thankfulness to God, and I think one of them is by serving other people. It's this time of year that it seems like there's an unending supply or opportunity to serve other people, to, to help out at food pantries or to serve meals at the soup kitchen or to serve in the shelter. Um, here at, at PCC, the, the Fountain of Hope ministry led by Viola Clink, uh, through your generosity and efforts, uh, we're able to, pre to prepare and deliver 24 Thanksgiving baskets this past week to families who were in need. In the process of, of gathering up supplies and, and getting things in line to tell you about the three families that we've adopted this year uh, to minister to them uh, during the Christmas season. Uh, PYC, the youth minister here at PCC, continues to serve families uh, at Homefront through the Preservation Center. Uh, I've been impressed with, with the many different ways and different stories that, that people have been, have been sh uh, sharing about how they've been serving other people. The small group of people that went and spent a Saturday cutting down trees and, and clearing trees for people they didn't know. Uh, I was told by a very proud father of how, and I hope I have the story right, that the son organized a mini golf course at work with boss's permission and had people play and they donated as they played and, and the money that was raised for Sandy Relief, it was such a success that the boss matched the money and then the boss's boss matched the money 
and it was just a way to give back and a way to serve. We, we had a, a small group go to one of their small group members' houses just to clean up and, and help out and offer some downtime for the family. We had a handyman go to a, a person's house and get the house ready so it could pass inspection so that it could be uh, rented out in a short period of time. I know personally our family has received numerous meals and cards and different things over the past several months and, and even a a flower arrangement from a small group this past week. And, and it's amazing how we as individuals and as a church, we can serve and, and we can do those things. The point is this, that when we serve other people, I, I think we demonstrate our commitment to God in a unique and special way. And, and there's so many different ways in which we can serve. And yet I know so many people that, that don't serve yet. And so my question to you is, are you serving? How are you doing in your serving? Maybe for you, uh, the serving starts, and I'm, I'm going to talk to the guys for just a second. Maybe the, your serving starts at, at home where, where you help out with the kids and you wash the dishes. Or maybe you, you stop by the grocery store. Maybe you turn off the TV and, and spend time with the kids because your football team's probably going to lose anyway, right? I know, I know. I'm a Chiefs fan. Don't forget that, all right? Maybe children... So often, it's what your parents can do for you. Maybe you look for ways you can serve your parents. Look for opportunities to, to give back to them and to serve them. Parents, sometimes we just need to serve our kids. We wonder why they're not good at serving, because they don't see us serving. And they need to see us start by doing that example. We need to have the example of serving. We need to serve our children, not just meet their needs. We are required by the law to do that, but let's serve them, right? Let's be an example for them. Maybe it's making the effort to go talk to your neighbor. Maybe it's getting a cup of coffee for the, the person in the cubicle next to you. Maybe it's giving up your seat on the train or, or holding open the door or making room on the elevator. It's serving people. And then the key is this, and, and here's, here's the real challenge, especially as we move into this real busy time of the year. You do it with a smile and with a good attitude. How many times have you just seen people just, right? No, serve with the love of Christ. Let it be a uh, who you are, not just an act that you're putting on. The reality of, of all of these things that we've talked about, and, and trusting God and following instructions and, and serving other people, we see those things, uh, examples given to us by Elisha. But we also see those things in our Savior. We see those things in, in Jesus Christ, and, and he demonstrated that for us. He, he gave of himself. He trusted God and came to earth to fulfill a mission. He followed the instructions. He fulfilled the prophecies. He did the things that God called him to do, and he served us. He served each and every one of us by being obedient to the Lord by going to the cross. He followed what God wanted him to do. He was committed so that you and I could have the opportunity to spend eternity with him. So, as the bottom of your bulletin says, how committed are you? How committed are you? Maybe today what you need to do to, to start in that commitment is you need to trust God for the very first time. You need to, to turn your life over to him and accept him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never made that commitment, if you've never trusted him, today's the day. Why not start today? Maybe for you, you, you've never followed his instructions that he tells us in his word of, of how we're to be obedient to him through baptism. Or, or maybe you need to commit to reading his word and, and to praying and to fasting and to giving and, and to start following the instructions that he's given us in his word. 
Maybe today you just simply need to be reminded that in this extremely busy time of year, that serving other people, that putting other people first is what we're called to do. I just want to remind you again of what uh, someone told me right after Sandy came through. It shouldn't take a disaster for us to be working and moving and acting like the body of believers should act. It shouldn't take a disaster for us to be, to be the people that God has called us to be. We need to get out there and, and do the things that God has called us to do. As we do every week, we want to give you an opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your life and in your heart right now. And maybe today, as your response, you can do right where you stand. Maybe today you need to talk to the person next to you, and that's your response. Or maybe today your response is that you need to talk to someone, to one of the members of the prayer team over by the cross. And we invite you to do that. Stand with me, sing in this worship song together, and you respond as the Lord's directing you today.